How's everyone doing? Good. Good to see you all. Would you turn to Proverbs 24 with me? We're going to read one verse in Proverbs 24. It's verse 11. This is what it says. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to come, be in your presence, to extol your name, to talk about how awesome you are, to talk about the work of your son, to talk about how you've redeemed us from our sins. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are all-powerful and nothing is beyond your reach. Anything is possible for you, God. If you want something done, it will happen. Lord, help us to trust your sovereignty, that you are in control of the affairs of men, that you rule this world in righteousness. God, give us understanding today in your word on this issue, Lord. Give us a heart to receive the truth that come inspired by your spirit that are called the word of God. And help us bend our hearts to it and let your word shape our hearts, God. We thank you that you are good and gracious. We pray for other churches across this land and across this world today as they meet. Lord, bless them too. Give them an extra measure of grace as they continue to seek you, as they continue to walk in your ways, Lord. And may truth be proclaimed in each of the pulpits today, God. Amen. Last week we had the privilege of having Diane and and Pastor Vaughn share with us on the issue of the pro-life cause and the sanctity of human life. We like to take uh, at least a couple weeks in January because January is Sanctity of Human Life Month. So we like to take a few weeks and focus on that issue because it's an issue that is near and dear to the heart of God. So whatever God um, sees as worthy and virtuous, we want to see as, as worthy and virtuous. So I'm going to do that today. Next week we'll pick back up in First Thessalonians. I know it's been a little bit, but we will be back in that next week. Well, 2020 um, started kind of like nothing was anything special, but then it quickly got uh, special to say the least. And we've had a, a, a coronavirus um, that sadly has killed thousands hundreds of thousands of people in our country, and um, hundreds of thousands of people, even millions outside of our country. And we have spent billions of dollars to fight it. Billions of dollars, probably tens of billions, hundreds of billions, and even trillions if you can count the economic uh, economic stimulus to fight it um, in dealing with this virus. And this virus couldn't be handled overnight. People have worked around the clock to help the sick and develop a vaccine. Health workers, some of them, have gone into harm's way to minister to the sick and have had to um, literally lay down their lives because they ended up succumbing to the virus itself. So hats off to many of them um, who, have, who have fought and ministered well to the sick and to the dying. Um, we have uh, a pandemic on our hands, and it's not the coronavirus. We have a different pandemic um, imagine if we turned on the news each day. I don't know how each of you handled it, um, but especially in the early months of the coronavirus, you know, I would hop on uh, the news site each day and kind of see where the, the ticker was of how many new cases and how many people had died, and you, know, you could see the little graph going up and up. Imagine if we turned on the news each day and they reported on the number of abortions that happened that day. And it was kept in front of us. Day after day after day after day after day, after week after week after week, after month after month after month. It'd probably make more of an impact upon us. It's easy for us to skew to decide because our culture scoots it aside and doesn't want it in the news. Uh, as of last week when I checked, in the U.S. there was about 386,000 people dead of COVID so far. You're going to see a picture behind me in a moment that's going to show you a graph of the different um, leading causes of death in the U.S. this past year. Even in the midst of, uh, of a pandemic, we can see that abortion still outweighed them all. You got abortion, then you had COVID on there. That's through, uh, 2020 of November. Heart disease, cancer, stroke, chronic lower respiratory disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes. But abortion 
was the leading cause of death. Sadly, even in the midst of a pandemic, people found time to kill their unborn children. Friends, we, we truly deserve whatever judgment comes upon this nation. During a pandemic, when just about every business was closed for a period of weeks, even months, some states are still closed, um, St. Louis is, is locked down, uh, murdering babies was considered essential. God forgive us. Some states did require abortion clinics to close for a while, about 11 of them. Um, God bless them for their stand. We canceled cancer screenings. We canceled heart screenings. Um, things that progress like cancer where it's so essential to get it at the earliest moment possible and detect it and deal with it. Those were all put on pause and hold. People will die of cancer because it was not caught soon enough because of COVID. People will die of heart disease because it was not caught soon enough and dealt with. Those screenings were out. But children still died. And that was still available. Friends, this past year, especially with some of the um, racial uh, incidents that happened, uh, you probably heard the term systemic injustice. Uh, a short or, or quick definition when we talk about systemic injustice would be when a system of power, think like a, a government or maybe a huge business, uses its power to promote, enshrine, or accomplish that which is morally evil, wicked, or unjust. Okay, so a system of power uses its influence essentially to promote wickedness. Now I want you to think a, a moment about the abortion industry. If we want to talk about systemic injustice, the abortion industry is truly a systemic, a systemic injustice. Think about it. It is government-supported. It's government-backed. It's government-funded. It's government-defended. And it's all perfectly legal. There's no consequences whatsoever for having an abortion uh, legally. Um, we would classify that clearly as a systemic injustice. You can legally murder an unborn child. And I want you to think about that for a moment. I actually think, you know, America is, is literally the richest nation to ever exist on the face of this planet. Without a doubt. I also think America is the most selfish nation to ever exist. In the midst of our affluence, we, we continue to choose ourselves over and over and over and over again. Now, if there's any truth in that statement that America might be the most selfish nation to ever exist, do you think you can live in a nation like that and not be affected by that thought, by that influence? If it's the most selfish, are you going to be influenced by that? Is it going to kind of press in upon your conscience, your thoughts, and your soul? You think you can live in a nation like that and not have to be combating selfish thinking yourself? Or selfish living? Because our nation is very much about the individual. It is very much about the self. And what's the message that we're given? If you want it, you can have it. If you want it, you can have it. Nothing is too weird, extreme, odd, or perverse. If it makes you happy, if it brings you pleasure, then you can have it. Go for it. So much so that if we're inconvenienced by a small person, they're going to be an inconvenience to us, to our selfishness, then we can murder them. I mean, they have to be your small person but you can still murder them. No greater example of us living in a society is that which deifies the self on this issue. Think about it. This is truly the worship of self in the most profoundest sense. We have made ourselves out to be God. When you worship something or someone, what do you do for that thing or person? You're willing to go great lengths. 
You make it number one. You're willing to make sacrifices for it. And in this case, you are God. You decide who lives or dies. You decide who is worthy of life. You decide if this life will continue or not. And what decision do you make? Whatever is best for you. That's what you do. This is worship of self. Whatever best serves you, whatever best serves your interests, you're number one, you're at the top, so you do what's best for you. Friends, let me just say, if any of this exists within us, we need to cut it out with the spiritual knife. We've got to cut it out, and we've got to lay it on the altar of Jesus and give it over to him. Much damage has been done this past year to people's spiritual lives. Much, much damage because of COVID. It's a sermon in itself. But this is the longest I've gone as a pastor without visiting someone in the hospital. The last time I visited someone in the hospital was Brian Needbone. That was last February, right as things kind of were starting to heat up. If, if, if he would have died about 30 to 45 days later, I would not have been able to be there with him. I would have not been able to be there to minister to his wife. And, and some of you that were able to visit would not have been able to be there as well to comfort Aurora, to be with Brian in his last days. That truly would have been a travesty. And it would have been one that I would have regretted in my last days. And I'm very thankful that though some of us have had to be in the hospital, none of us have had any serious issues where I've been not able to visit you because of that. The very place, a hospital that can spell death for many people, and they won't let pastors in. You know, require a rapid test or or any number of other things. I'd, I'd go through whatever you know, uh, understandable hoops that we might need to jump through. But, like, let the pastors minister to the dying. Uh, John Calvin, one of the famous, well-known preachers of the Reformation, uh, lived in Geneva. It was one of the, the fires of the Reformation where it started. And, and they actually, um, as, as most uh, people have, have had to de- dealt with different uh, plagues of various sorts. And they saw it as a necessity that the sick and dying had a minister of the gospel at their side during their neediest hour. What would they do in that city? They had a couple times of, of outbreaks, even worse, I'd say, than, than COVID. But they would draw lots. The pastors would get together, and they would draw lots to find out who would go and minister to the people in the hospital. In part, to minimize Uh, more people getting it, so then it would be spread to less people, right? Um, But also to minimize the number of pastors uh, that might and did die from it. But they saw it as essential, and they were willing to walk into such a situation as that because at the neediest hour, people are breathing their last breath. What do they need to hear, my friends? The gospel. They need one more opportunity to trust in Christ. And there are many, many, many true and real deathbed conversions that God has used someone's illness to get them saved. He's used it. Friends, all of life is precious. There was a a young Italian woman, her name was uh, Edie, pregnant with her first child, and she ended up having appendicitis. And the doctor said because of that, the child will be born with major complications. It will have... uh, disabilities well um she refused to have the abortion the child was born was born with congenital glaucoma and was completely blind by age 12 his name was andrea but despite being able unable to see god blessed him with other gifts one in particular stands out in fact his voice has been called the most beautiful in the world. I'm talking about Andrea Bocelli. Celine Dion said, if God would have a singing voice, he must sound a lot like Andrea Bocelli. In fact, Bocelli's albums have sold over 90 million copies. 
and his 1999 album is the biggest selling album by a solo classical artist in history. His 1990 single, 1996 single, is one of the biggest selling singles of all time, putting him up there with the likes of Maroon 5, Adele, and Lady Gaga. He is quite well accomplished. He sung for presidents, prime ministers, and popes. People Magazine even called him one of the 50th most beautiful people. <laughs> Think about that, friends. This lady chose life for her son. And God used this man to bless many people, gave him a great gift. In fact, he told an Italian newspaper he was inspired to share his story. He didn't share it for a while, but he was inspired to share his story by a missionary in Haiti who works with children and women facing difficult pregnancies. He said this, Because of my personal convictions, I'm not only fighting against something, I am fighting for something, and I am for life. When we take Bocelli's example and then hold it up to an organization like Planned Parenthood, the, the uh, example is quite extreme. When we think about the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, Here's what she said. This is the founder of Planned Parenthood. Here's what she said in the letter. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And, and I could, we could literally stand here all day and I could read you quote after quote after quote. And it's not hidden. These aren't conspiracies. This is nothing. Well, Planned Parenthood tries to hide it. But this is nothing that is hidden. You can go and read her own biography and it is well documented. She was a racist. She wanted to exterminate the black population. Friends, that idea, when you look at the statistics of Planned Parenthood, that idea is still woven into the fabric of what Planned Parenthood is today. Most abortion facilities, guess where they're located? Near black populations, near black neighborhoods. They target an ethnic minority. The former Planned Parenthood, <clears throat> uh, former president of Planned Parenthood, Cecile Richards, she declared, we aim to be the largest kick-butt political organization. It's politics. It's power. It's money. And as one pro-life website said, they are who they are. Violence wrapped up in pink banners and ludicrous hashtags. Friends, the, the efforts of, of many of you, of your donations to organizations like Thrive are making a difference. One of the things I appreciate about Thrive, and, and, and in part because they've been given so many do donations, is, is they're able to give a pretty wide range of services, all the way from, from helping ladies uh, get through their uh, birth to ha having parenting classes to providing diapers that's why we're doing the diaper drive and the different needs of the email that we sent out they help these ladies get established in housing i mean they, they just help them out so they are a pro-life organization in the truest and realist sense of the word you're helping make that possible one of the things and I know there haven't been maybe a lot of blessings. We, we heard a while back how God used COVID in one of our members' lives in a positive way. But one of the things that COVID has done is actually uh, greatly impacted a number of these independent abortion facilities. It's hit them in the pocketbook. That's what they're there for is for the money. And the Times reported, uh, Time magazine reported this, A growing number of independent clinics have closed their doors. This wave of shutterings continues a longer-term national trend. The number of independent abortion clinics in the U.S. has fallen 34% in recent years, from 510 in 2012 to 337 as of November. A total of 41 clinics have closed in the past two years alone. These closures have significant consequences for abortion access. 
Friends, this is an industry that sadly delights in death, even celebrates it, and at times mocks it. You're going to see a picture behind me of a Christmas tree. Now, what's normally on top of a Christmas tree? Usually a star, right? Do you know what that star represents? The Star of Bethlehem is what we call it, the one that led the Magi. So that star up there represents the Star of Bethlehem. And the picture behind me at the top is um, what's called sofa clamps that are used to dismember babies in an abortion. And um, one of the the, uh, key leaders in a a smaller organization, not Planned Parenthood, but a a pro-choice abortion I tweeted out this picture. It is literally impossible to top our topper. And right there is the sofa clamps instead of the star. Thankfully, the backlash was so bad that he actually deleted the tweet and and closed his account. So at least our, our society in some sense has somewhat of a moral conscience, possibly. But we're in a cultural battle for life and for truth and for righteousness. And I have seven reminders in the fight for life. And I think you could also add seven reminders in our current cultural climate. The first is this. Turn to Revelation 7. Verse 1, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels, who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of this sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Then it goes 12,000 from each tribe. Go on, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we get a picture on earth of what God is doing. He's, it, we get this symbolism of Him sealing them. He's setting them aside. The wrath is about to come. And then we also get this picture in heaven of people standing around the throne. Friends, my first point is this, my first reminder, the church will not be snuffed out. The church will not be snuffed out. Not in the next four years, not in the next eight years, not anytime soon, not ever. The church isn't going anywhere. God established his church, and he established it to be here until he comes back to claim his own. So God, the amazing thing, can make his church grow in some of the, the most infertile soil with thorns and thistles all around. God can still grow his church. He can grow it. In the worst of the worst of the worst circumstances, this is why the church in even persecuted countries is flourishing. Some of the stories are amazing when you hear them, but God is on the move in those countries. We might not always hear those stories. They are there. You can find them. But God is on the move. He will not let his church be snuffed out. And friends, if the church is here, then guess what? Truth is here. Truth is here. And that means, guess what? We must speak the truth. We must speak the truth. This is why we send out missionaries. This is why we had Raymond and Leanne share a few weeks ago. We want the truth spread. Any land or country that has just even one believer, there's the flame of truth there. And that flame can spread it to others. That's what we're praying for Raymond and Leanne. That they're, they're going to a place where there's one believer. But what's he doing? What he's called to do. He's being the salt. He's being the light. We're sending... Raymond and Leanne, right? To get the scriptures into the language of that people so that the flame can spread. 
Look at Matthew 12. Look at verse 15 in Matthew 12. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This was prophesied about Jesus. And I was reading this the other day, and friends, we need to take some hope and comfort in verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. That's how we can kind of feel sometimes. Like we got a wick and it's, it's kind of, oh, it's, it's just kind of, you know, right on the edge of going out, right? Jesus is not going to snuff that out. He's going to fan that flame, get it back burning again. If you feel broken and hurt, he's not going to finish you off. He's going to mend you up. He's going to heal you up. That's a word for someone today. Jesus will walk with you through it. Second, we need a reminder that this is a wake-up call. Our current cultural climate, it's a wake-up call. And friends, God is gracious to give his people opportunities to wake up and change. He is gracious to call us back to him. He is gracious when we have fallen asleep spiritually to wake us back up. Look at Romans 13. It starts out in verse 10, Romans 13. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And then verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You know what, perhaps it's time for us to have our feathers ruffled a bit. Perhaps it's time for us to get, be made a little bit uncomfortable. Because we've grown soft. Very soft. We've grown complacent. We've grown timid. How about we start fighting for the cause of Christ? How about we stand up and be counted as one of His? 2020 offered us way too many excuses not to share our faith. You know, Lord, forgive us. Let's not let 2021 be the same. Friends, every year that goes by is one more year we will never get back. We'll never get it back. Now, we might not want 2020 back. (laughs) But every year we go by, we can't get that year back. It's another year that we're closer to our end. But God always promises to each one of us that he will be with us every step of the way, come what may. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And I love the promise that he gives in 1 Kings <clears throat> where Elijah's all freaking out and thinks he's the, like the last one that's been faithful to God. And this is what he says. This is what God says to him. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he, he thinks he's been forsaken. He's the last one. God's like, look, I got, I got 7,000 over here. All right? You don't even know about them, but they've been faithful to me. Friends, we have many examples around us of people that have remained faithful to the gospel to the end. They've remained faithful to Christ to the end. Let's look to them as, as an encouragement. Think even in Hebrews 11, you know, the, the, the hall of fame, you know, so to speak, of these people that were put in some of the worst situations, yet they walked in faithfulness. They made it to the finish. And some of it was pretty bad. They're hiding out in caves. They're being, their lives are being sought. Think about King David even for a minute. Like, how many years from the time that he was anointed to be king until that came to be fulfilled? It was like 15 to 20 years when you do the math. Well, what, what's going on during those years? Like, he's on the run for his life. He's like, God, I, I thought I was like supposed to be the king. 
and I'm hiding out in caves. What was God doing? He was molding him. He was shaping him. He was preparing him. Friends, that's what God's been doing for each one of you for this year, for such a time as this. If he wanted you alive 100 years ago, that's when you would have been alive. If he wanted you alive 100 years from now, I don't think any of us are going to make it. Even our youngest, he'd have you alive then. But he wants you right here, right now, right where he's got you. What to do? To serve him, to make a difference. So some of us, we got to wake up. We kind of hit the pause button in 2020. It's time to hit unpause. Okay, Time to get back in the groove of serving the living king. His name is Jesus. Are you with me? Amen. Let me just say one more thing on that note. Um, you know, the gospel doesn't rise and fall with the United States. Okay? So even if tomorrow our economy completely collapsed, um, joblessness was at record rates, and all sorts of craziness was happening, that does not mean the gospel has failed. Okay? So God doesn't, you know, lick his finger and kind of hold it up to the winds of, of North America and see how things are going, and, and that's how the gospel goes. No. Uh, persecution is going on in different countries. The gospel is still flourishing. I hope, I pray, I believe that if that happened in America, we would rise up as well. Third, the Christian walk is a marathon, not a sprint. So make sure you got the right pair of shoes on. All right? Any, are there any sprinters in here? You got your sprinting shoes, and you got your marathon shoes. Okay, I ran track uh, in high school. I had a different pair of shoes for running on the track. I ran cross country. I had a different pair of shoes for running cross country. You got to make sure you got the right shoes on. You got to make sure you're equipped, just like Ephesians 6 talks about. Make sure you're equipped with the armor of God ready to do the battle. I was in a race a couple years ago. There's one mistake if you've ever been in a race, any type of race. But your, your adrenaline is going like a thousand miles an hour, leading right up to the moment of, of the horn or the gun being shot off. And so what's the mistake that you think that runners make because that adrenaline is pumping so much through their body? They start way too fast. Now, if you're just running like once around the quarter-mile track, that can be a good thing because you got probably got enough juice to get yourself around there one time. But if you're running like 5K or 10K or even much more so a marathon, 26-plus miles, Um, If you don't have a good tempo and you just rely on the adrenaline, you're going to be sitting on the sidelines pretty quick. So I'm in this race a couple years ago, and I get to the the last mile marker. I have one mile to go in the race, and there is a guy, a, a runner, just sitting on the curb. Just sitting there. He didn't look injured. Maybe he was injured, but he didn't look injured. And that guy had to be fast. You want to know why? Because he beat me. <laughs> he beat me for the first two miles, okay? But I beat him on the third mile, and I finished the race. I don't know if he finished, but I finished the race. Maybe he went out too quick. The point is, you've got to prepare for whatever race that you're going to be in. You guys are in the race of life. That's what we're running. And it's a marathon, so we want to make sure we're prepared. We want to make sure we got the right shoes on. We want to make sure that we're taking in the word of God. We want to make sure we're seeking the throne of God. We want to make sure that we're receiving the ministry of the Spirit here. We want to make sure that we're ministering to others and being gracious and loving and using the gifts of the Spirit that he's given to us to build up his church. That's what we want to be doing. I want to make sure that I cross the finish line. That's what Paul talks about. First Timothy, Second Timothy in 1 Timothy, it's like, I want to make sure I finish. And in 2 Timothy, he's like, I have finished. He knows the end is coming. He's on the chopping block, literally. Well, what about us? Each of us probably knows people. They started out. They probably even started out, some of them strong. And they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Some of them are denying him. Lord, you know, my prayer is, Lord, none, none, of, my, none of the people that, that God has given me, none of the people of this church, that each one of us would finish strong, that each one of us would finish. 
that we'd be faithful to the end. Okay, the goal is not to run the race. Anyone can do that. The goal is to finish the race. To finish it. Fourth, the gates of hell will not prevail. That's what Matthew 16 says. The gates of hell will not prevail. Let's just look at it briefly. He starts out in verse 13, Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So we see in the middle of Jesus talking here, Peter gives this answer. Jesus blesses him for it. And he says, on this rock, I believe the rock is the confession. There's actually, Peter means rock, but Jesus actually uses a different Greek word here for rock. To me, it would be odd to say, you are Peter, the rock, and on this rock, a different rock, which is you, Peter. That doesn't actually line up to me. So he's saying, you are Peter, a small rock, but on this rock, this true rock, this big rock, what's the rock? Well, the, the thing that you just confessed, that, you, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that is what the kingdom will be built. Not on man, but on God's revelation, what God has revealed to man. And then he says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Won't prevail against what? Ultimately, the kingdom of God. In this context, the church. The church. I said this a few months ago. I want to say it again. Friends, too often we're concerned and fearful of the fires that the enemy will set. We spend so much time worrying about how we'll put out the adversary's fires. It's time to start some of our own spiritual fires. Let's be so busy about the work that the enemy doesn't even have time to be able to deal with all of us adequately. We're also busy about his work. He can't even come up with his own schemes because he's trying to counteract the work of the gospel that we're doing for the kingdom. Let's go on the offensive. We have the most powerful weapon of all. And it makes all the weapons of the world look like toy guns. They can't stand up to the power of the word of God. His word has conquered nations. His word has defeated enemies. His word has made the most vile and wretched people, that's you and me, into saints. His word is powerful. And that is the offensive weapon in Ephesians 6, the sword of the spirit. That's the weapon we've been given, the word of God. So we're not waging a spiritual war where we are unsure of the final results. It's not like, oh, grab your popcorn and let's see who's going to win, Satan or God. Like, we know the end. We're in this battle, and we're the soldiers. That's, that's one of the analogies that we're given, that we are the soldiers fighting the battle. God does not send his soldiers into war unprepared. He does not give them, he just, oh, go ahead, and I know you don't got any armor, but hopefully it works out. No. He prepares us. He gives us the weapons. He gives us the armor. He gives us the sword of the Spirit to do the battle that He wants us to do. Which leads me into my fifth reminder. Satan's eternal destiny is finalized. His downfall is written in stone. There is no doubt that it will happen. Look at Revelation 20. I want you all to see this. Verse 7, and when the thousand years are ended, that's talking about the millennial reign of Christ. We'll be actually looking at that in a few weeks when we get to it in First Thessalonians. 
When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. How long are they going to be tormented? Day and night, forever and ever. Okay, They're going to be taking a pretty hot bath in that lake of fire. It's not going to feel good. Okay, uh, the, the beast and the false prophet already talked about in Revelation. I'm, you know, the devil's just joining them. They're already there. Friends, don't be on the losing side. Don't be on the losing side. You already know who the losing side is. Be on the winning side. Be on King Jesus' side. Be on his side. It, it's already written. He, he, he's, he's won, really. It's not like he's going to win. He already has won. That's what the empty tomb accomplished. That's what the cross accomplished. That's why he said, it is what? Finished. It's finished. It's done. It's done. So don't be on the losing side. And one more thing, don't act like you're on the losing side. Seriously. Don't act like you're on the losing side. If you've got Jesus, if you've trusted in him, then you're on the winning side. Act like it. Have the confidence and the boldness that you're on the winning side. Act like you're on the winning side. And also act like you're on the winning side in how you conduct yourselves. All right? People look at your lives. I hope you look more like Jesus than like the devil. I'm being serious here. People should be able to tell. If you're on the winning side, act like you're on that team. Okay? Put the uniform on. Get the t-shirt. And be on that team. Sixth. Fifth was Satan's eternal destiny is finalized. Sixth is, is, is your eternal destiny awaits you. I want you to catch this in 2 Peter. Just a couple books back from Revelation. Verse 10, 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Okay, chew on that one for a while in your quiet time today. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. James talks about the crown of life that waits for you, right? Revelation, we get the picture of them casting their crowns before the throne. We even sing a song about it sometimes. Even 1 Corinthians talks about running the race. You know what you're running the race to win? The prize, right? What's the prize? Back then, <clears throat> in the games they had, is like this like laurel wreath. Like, aim to win. To win. Okay, that's the prize. Symbolizes the eternal life you have in Christ. And seventh, and finally, as I've already said, God wins in the end. He wins. Look at Revelation 21. If you're ever discouraged or bummed out or depressed, there's some scriptures in the Bible you can turn to to be encouraged. This would be one of them. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Friends, this is something, I'm just going to be real with you, that we will all see someday. We're going to see this. John's seen it in a vision. He's going to see it in person. And so will each one of us. So, verse 2, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Didn't we sing that earlier? I forget the exact wordage, but it's like, is God going to dwell with his people again? Yes, was our refrain. 
So I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And then look at this promise. This is a promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Anybody cried in the past week? I have, just a little bit. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Friends, God wins in the end. He is victorious. Even in 1 Thessalonians, which we're, we're going to look at this awesome triumphal entry of Christ, the triumphal return of Christ that we'll be looking at in the next few weeks, is the, the imagery is just so beautiful. Can't wait to, to, to teach you guys more about it. But we're going to usher him in. We're going to usher him in. We used to sing a song, it's like probably from the 90s or something, but it talks about the triumphal procession. It's like one of my favorite songs. Is we're singing about Jesus coming back and we're just like ushering him in like the Romans would with the king because he is a king. We're ushering him in to his throne. We're going to see this new Jerusalem, this holy city coming down from heaven. Friends, you got Revelation 21, Revelation 22. I mean, it, it sums things up. The final part in Revelation 22, second to last verse says, this is Jesus, surely I am coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Right, that's that word, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We, we <clears throat> had bought a, a dishwasher, and it's kind of frustrating sometimes when you buy like a new appliance and it like breaks right, right away. Kind of makes you regret buying that particular brand, but it is what it is. It broke, so it was still under warranty. Dishwasher, we had the dishwasher repairman come out. And um, I was like, man, this is an opportunity. I'm like talking with him. I'm like, man, this is an opportunity for me to, to share the gospel with him. I was like, I don't feel like sharing the gospel. It's like, I just didn't feel like it. But I shared with him. I didn't feel like it. But living for Jesus... It's really not about like what you feel. It's about what he wants. And he wants us to share the gospel. It's always hard. You all know if you've shared before that, that first step, right? That first step of trying to open that door to the gospel. Once you kind of open that door, it, go, it gets a little bit easier usually. But I didn't feel like it. But friends, it's, it's, on things like that, we have clear command. Preach the gospel. I, I don't have to ask myself, should I preach the gospel? No, I'm supposed to preach the gospel. And I need to look for those opportunities. And I've been praying for opportunities. So when the dishwasher appliance repairman is there, I've got to take those opportunities. I've got to take them. And you guys are going to be given opportunities because I'm praying for God to give you opportunities. So it doesn't matter if you're praying for opportunities or not. I'm praying for you all to get opportunities. And you guys got to take those opportunities. All right? I want to hear my prayers answered. He's going to give them to you. I believe it. So seize those opportunities. Prepare yourself now. You're going to get them. All right, just it, all it takes is like that five seconds. Okay, you know, like just take that deep breath and just ask your opening question, whatever you want it to be, and go for it. All right, I, in, in hindsight, I'm always glad. I've never regretted sharing the gospel. I'm always glad that I did. And God always blesses me. Like, it encouraged me. Like, the rest of my day, it was like I had a little extra, you know, hop in my step, so to speak. God blesses that. He blesses our faithfulness to him. Just by, I think, just, you know, filling us with his spirit, with giving us the joy. It's exciting to share that. It's tough. Don't always look forward to it. But I want to be faithful to Christ. That's what it gets to. So I'm, I'm going to push some of those feelings aside. I'm going to push some of that other feelings aside. If you're married, we got a lot of married people here. Spouses are a blessing. But sometimes we don't feel like doing this or that. 
We don't feel like serving our spouse. Sometimes we don't, let's just admit it. We fail. We mess up. Just like we miss out on opportunities God wants us to share, we, we fail. I've done both many times, sadly. But many times we're like, no, I love this person, and my love for this person is not just a feeling. But my love for this person, I'm going to push aside these feelings of I don't want to do this, or I'm, I'm too lazy, or I don't, that's, that's an inconvenience. I'm going to push that aside because of that person. It's the same with Christ. I'm going to push aside that feeling of not wanting to share the gospel because of that person, Jesus. Because I love him. I want to serve him. I want to be faithful to him. And I owe him a debt of gratitude. I owe him a debt and that in one sense I can never repay, but in the truest sense, he already paid. He paid the debt. So let's be faithful. In the midst of this spiritual battle, the culture war, Friends, I understand it is easy to be disillusioned. It can be very easy to be disillusioned when you look around at the cultural landscape, even just in the past year, even just in the past three or four months. And we have to fight against that. That's part of the reason I gave you these reminders for today. Maybe some of you need to go back and listen to the podcast and re-listen to this sermon. Down down with discouragement. Okay, Down, down with that. Down with the disillusionment. Okay, focus on Christ, set our hearts on things above, look to the cross, and walk faithfully with him. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you so much that you do have the victory. Thank you that you are on the throne and that you rule victoriously. God, thank you for a book like Revelation that gives us a picture of a true picture, even a clear picture of what is to come. And there you are at the end, faithful. Faithful to us, faithful to your people, faithful to yourself. You have done what you've said you would do. And Lord, we acknowledge we're not worthy for any of it. We're not worthy of it, but by the blood of Christ. You've made us worthy. You've called us to your side. Father, may 2021 be a year that we put our hand to the plow and not look back. That our hearts are on fire for you. That our hearts are on fire for the gospel. Make us bold as lions. Bolder than the lion's than those lions in Daniel's den make us bold. Go before us, God. Prepare the way, pave the way. Give us those opportunities, each of us here, and may we step out in faith, open our mouth, and speak your truth. Be glorified in our midst, Father. We ask with the authority we have in your Son, Jesus. Amen.